0: Hey everybody we are back with our second edition of the podcast since we changed the name which is fitting to be the bison podcast and uh, I could not be happier to be where I'm at which is sitting on the edge kind of the eastern edge of Custer State Park and I'm here with the herd manager of Custer State Park who's also a private bison herd manager he has his own herd which we're in right now and this is Chad Kramer. Uh, Chad Chad, I'm gonna let Chad talk, so you guys don't have to listen to me run my mouth, but we're gonna talk a little bit about Chad himself, and obviously these animals around us right now. And I wanna put it out real quick, because I know people are gonna watch this and, and think that this is crazy, but Chad's been doing this for 30 years. He's been working at the park for 18, 19 years, managing the Custer State herd. This is his personal herd of animals that he tends to every single day. We're keeping a safe distance. It's nice and calm. Everything's under control. I don't recommend trying this. If you've never been around bison, I wouldn't come this close to bison, keep 100 yards away. Uh, Chad's gonna talk a little bit more about his herd and safety, but uh, couldn't be more honored to be out here on the edge of Custer State Park with one of the best bison herd managers in the entire country. Chad, thanks for coming on.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Bert.
0: Yes, sir. So, you know, I'm gonna start this off a little different. Because you've had a, the path has obviously brought you here to managing, I'd say, what one of 10, 10 park herds in the country that kind of goes back to the early 1900s, late 1800s when bison got revived. Yep. Um, I say revived, regenerated, you know, bringing that population back. What was your first job? What age and what was your first job ever that you got paid money for?
1: Well, growing up on a farm in southwest Minnesota, I guess we did get paid some, but it would have been probably walking beans or picking rocks. Picking <laughs> I guess when I think about it, it's probably the very first one, and
0: so every farmer and rancher knows picking rock. What for those that don't know, picking rock. T- talk about picking rock. Is oh, there that does in, any so and
1: out in the crop in the crop fields and in Minnesota, there. I mean, we don't have rock like out here in the Black Hills, but but because of tillage and planning and combines and that, you know, the rocks would get tilled up to the surface. So we got the joy of going out there usually spring and fall after the crops were. Um, harvested and picking up rocks and putting them on a wagon and then go throwing them in the ditch somewhere. So you can start
0: plowing and getting ready for for, the next next crop season. Yep. So from there, you know, we talked about a little bit, but when did your fascination with these animals, and and who's this one here?
1: This is Cranberry. So. And how old is Cranberry? Cranberry actually is an 11-year-old cow. So she's an 11-year-old
0: cow, which is a female bison. Uh, And I'm going to I'm going to speak in dummy terms. You know, I'm new at this over the last couple of years, but I'm, I'm going to speak so that uh, a lot of our viewers have never been around bison, never been exposed to them, and we're trying super hard to, to introduce them to these magnificent animals, which is hands down my favorite animal, as everybody knows that listens to the to the program and follows the companies. But uh, when did you get fascinated with bison? How did this fascination with bison produce start?
1: So I really. Um started in college. Um, I grew up in southwest Minnesota and Blue Mound State Park in Laverne Minnesota has a small herd of about 50 to 60 head and they had an annual auction and which they still do and so I got interested kind of in seeing the ad on the auction coming up Um, and then ended up going to college at South Dakota State and one of my my first semester up there I had a public speaking class and one of our first assignments was a 25 minute informative speech. And I thought at the time I didn't like to speak in front of people. I'm like, what am I going to talk about for that length of time to keep myself interested, let alone somebody else? So, but I went home that weekend for harvest and saw that the sale was coming up at Blue Mounds. And I thought, and I remember back, I had seen it a year or two before, and it had interest in it, but never went to it. And made it happen, right?
0: And this is a bison sale, so yep. They, every year they have an annual sale because, uh, you know what, that's a good segue into real quick to, to deviate. You know, parks, ranches. At some point, you have so much space for these animals. Whether it's on a park like Custer State Park, seventy-one thousand acres. Yep. You said it's about thirteen miles by eight miles if you let the animals just continue to breed and continue to grow the herd, eventually what will happen?
1: They'll overgraze their habitat. So so if you let them numbers just continue to grow, eventually, you know, with precipitation and droughts and things, they, they overgraze. Um, And then, you know, somehow the population is going to decline. Right. So so we manage, like, they're just like any other ranch. You can only run so much. your carrying capacity on the land and forage. And so that's why, like, at the park, we do an annual roundup and sell off a certain number, figuring, anticipating. And we use some data, precip data and such, and looking at range condition on what we can do, hopefully, the upcoming year right. what we can support so.
0: So you go to so, this Blue Mound sale.
1: So I went to the Blue Mound sale. I met a couple guys that were raising them. Um One from central Minnesota in particular. I went and visited his ranch or farm and, and uh, from there doing the research on the history of them and kind of my speech ended up you know from the early settlers to the current day is basically what it ended up and at that time in the late 80s the bison market was just kind of starting to head up um it was about the second or third year when the prices were kind of starting up um but from there the more research i did and and visiting people that i found out were raising them uh just driving traveling i'd see a taller fence and figure that you know there must be bison yeah, or, bison something. or elk,
0: something so something there.
1: my wife who's my girlfriend at the time she thought it was pretty exciting at the beginning where all of a sudden I'd just pull in a yard and find out they're raising bison and four hours later you know we're, we put her head down the road and now she's like oh, you're talking buffalo again you know and <laughs> you're the talking kids, about your wife
0: Susie who's <laughs> obviously involved in this and then <clears throat> You know, I mentioned that it's you know for you it's not just a business affair. We talked about it earlier. This is a family affair for you. So, these animals around us have different ear tags on. The color of the ear tags mark who owns them. And when I say who owns them, your three kids yep. and you and your wife own these animals. So you have a 16-year-old. What an 18-year-old. 18 Isaac year is old. 16. Grace is is uh, 18 years old. And then you have a 23-year-old daughter. Yep. And they all own animals in this herd which i've met your daughter and spent time with her she came through the shop and and shared and and it was just remarkable to, to talk to a 17 18 year old girl that you know has her own bison herd yeah um so t- t- how did yeah. the whole family get involved in that same thing just got fascinated
1: yeah you know just growing up in the park we actually live in the park with uh, my job there so um you know, they've—that's all they've known their whole life. Even Hannah, when we first moved to South Dakota, the first time from Minnesota, she was born in South Dakota. Um, we went to Colorado for a year and a half or so, and then back to South Dakota again. So all the kids are South Dakota natives, um, and just. You know, they—it's what they've known growing up. They haven't really known different, so they now they're starting to realize how special and different it is. Yes, (laughs) from most people, (laughs) growing up in that.
0: Yeah, even in the livestock industry, it's just different. The the bison community, as you know, is—you've been in a long time. I'm just new to it, but it's pretty small and unique and pretty special. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really amazing group of people that, you know, haven't met anybody yet that. You know, when you talk to them, whether it's talking to somebody like you that's been doing this forever or somebody that's been doing it for five years, whether it's an hour conversation or a four-hour conversation or an eight-hour conversation, the conversation always ends or starts with my favorite line. It's it's about the animals first. And I truly believe it's this industry across the board is just so focused on the health and welfare and the growth of this population of animals. It's just amazing to me how how fascinating you just don't see that a lot yeah 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 it is a it's a money-making industry and it's a it's it it is a commodity it's a meat it's it's a lot of other things there's genetics they're selling for genetics they're selling for breeding but everybody you know everybody just like yourself you know puts the animals first which is remarkable you just don't see that very often Yep. Um, yeah so so that brought you to you know getting into bison and then you've been here at the park as the herd manager
1: for just over 19 years just over 19 years
0: so how did that start
1: so um, I guess once we moved west and worked for a couple of ranches um, in South Dakota and then Colorado um, in that experience we were looking to get back to the Dakotas or somewhere so actually was looking for looking for what was out there and and uh, the herd manager position here at the park opened up. Unfortunately, the previous herd manager died in a horse accident. Oh, geez. Um, they raised horses and, and he had a had a wreck with one, ended up dying from it. But uh, actually out in the Bighorns up in the wilderness. So. Oh, wow. But so it was kind of a quick deal. And I knew the resource manager at the time um, was involved in the Buffalo business and the NBA and, and that. So um, knowing him, and not really knowing. I'd been to the park auction for a few years um, prior to that but it ended up coming out in one of the association newsletters that they were taking applications and and so I uh, had been getting more and more involved in the industry side of the of the business you know as far as associations and such getting more actively involved at that time and so i made a phone call and put an application in and i believe there was like 30 35 or so applicants for it and they interviewed around a dozen um and i was a lucky guy that was blessed to get picked for it so but it's where my passion was yeah um the park was different from a lot of private ranches and the way it's managed in that. So, um, like I said earlier, you know, it kind of showed me after going through a season or two at the park, um, what the animals themselves can do. And, you know, they've been in the park now for over a hundred years. Yeah, it's so. pretty
0: remarkable, one of the, you know, when you and I were talking earlier when I got here, um, you told me a story about, you know, in the park about finding a spot that had a spring and you were looking at adding more water and then you started to build that, you know, build the tanks, pump all everything you needed to get that well going. And then you kind of stopped and backed off. What was your reason? Yeah. I was fascinated by it because it's, well, it's a great, it's a great story. Yeah, let You tell it a lot better than I do.
1: And for the way it's managed, I just got to thinking we actually, when I started, we only had two, electric pumped wells for the whole park and of course coming into it the first few months i had hadn't had the time to get out and explore more but as that first year went by or year to two years you know there's a lot in this country in the hills there's a lot of seeps and springs scattered out so the more i got out the more i found and you follow the buffalo trails the game trails they'll lead lead you to those those water sources um but kind of traditional thinking, I started thinking, you know, well, here the water's running down this little draw and they've got it all tore up from water and the bison and the elk primarily. Um, thinking, well, I should develop it, put it into a tank so it's cleaner water, they're not sucking out of their footprints, that kind of deal and, and then of course you want to protect the spring area so it's fencing that out, plumbing it into a tank and then you got maintaining the tank itself and the gravel or soil around it and all of that, and, and got pretty fired up about doing that with a couple of good springs that they use. And then I got to thinking about it. I backed up and I said, "Why? They've been here 80, 90 years. If I make those improvements now, I need to maintain them." Um, there's no health issues that I can see in the herd as far as the animals, so what's the point in doing it if they're healthy they're and they're getting by? I mean, they're years. doing what they've been doing, like you say, for millions of years. So, yeah. so but it's just, man, I was thinking, well, this will be better for them to do that. And after realizing that they've been here for decades, so what's the point in, in doing that? There may be some advantage, you know, on smaller acreages, I could see that, um, where there's not sufficient r- enough room for them. And like bison, you know and learn, you know, I've seen it over the years, they come to water and some ranches and friends I know that are inti- uh, intensively rotational grazing, they need to have the capacity because they're such a herd animal when they come. They mostly all come. Right. And sometimes you get them younger, less dominant animals that don't get a sufficient drink of water and the herd starts heading out, their herd instinct's stronger. They'll go with the herd They'll rather than off. getting the water. Yeah, right. So you end up with that scenario. So you gotta take it for each place. And that's what I've learned over the years, telling people that are looking at getting into the business and raising them, you know, each property is different. You gotta figure out what your objectives are, what your landscape objectives are, what your animal objective is. Um, if you just want them to look at, you know, take a property and put a few out there that you don't have to do anything with them. Right, just let Except them be, check fences, let them be buffalo. Let them be buffalo. <laughs> um, if it's more of a, a, a production model, then you're gonna make improvements that try to improve that, so. So you gotta, you know, I get a lot of people over the years that come and are interested in getting into raising them. And I start asking questions like this, you know, and they have, a lot of them have no idea about it. They're like, well, I never thought of that. You know, they just, they just all of a sudden think they want to get some buffalo and put them out there. Right, well,
0: like goats or alpacas or uh,
1: There's <laughs> anything, lots of, anything yeah, anything <laughs> lots of people get into them, have no way of, you know, handling them, capturing them. And now all of a sudden they've got too many. Right. They don't know what to do. They don't have the heart to harvest them. Find somebody to do now, that. When you say
0: harvest, you're talking about putting the animal down and harvesting the meat, harvesting, yep. you know, and, and, and typically, you know, animals, it's a fact of life. You know, everybody loves bison. They like going to the parks. This one, Custer, Yellowstone, Caprock, Wink. I can name, you know, five or six other parks that, Badlands, uh, you know, I don't want to leave anybody out, but it's it's good to go see them but when you manage a herd one of the hard parts of managing a herd for you is you gotta harvest animals bulls get old cows cows get old typically how old does a does a bull stick around and actually breed and and produce
1: calves you know it it depends like in the park with a model like that i mean we figure through their 10th season for breeding purposes and then we have a trophy hunt that we sell and it's a public drawing hunt. So So people can go
0: online, they can apply? Yep, we
1: have a few hundred applicants every year for it. It's grown significantly in my time at the park. But, um...
0: And those folks can actually come to the park they're side-by-side, shoulder-to-shoulder with you for a couple of days. Yep. And they go out and they, they have an opportunity to harvest an yep. animal who, you, you know, more or less have to get rid of.
1: Yep. Um, yep. And, and we've had bulls make 15, well, the oldest one's been 17. Usually by 14, 15, we've located them and ended up harvesting one. But but. Uh, and you
0: talked about, you know, just so people that aren't familiar with it, you talked about... Uh, Bulls, you know, a four-year-old bison, a three-year-old bison is is big to most people. They'll see it, they'll yeah. come up and see it. But when you talk about a bison bull, you know, sexual maturity, you said it. The magic, your magic number after watching animals for for decades, is eight years old. That's kind of prime. That's they're ready to rock and roll. They're they're fighting for dominance yep. in the herd they're fighting for dominance and mating and they're they're the most powerful and kind of at their their peak is that correct
1: yeah yep from what i've seen i mean they they mature slower than like beef cattle so really about five six years age before they really are starting to get at their peak but i've seen in the in the park and the bulls in particular you said that i tell people you know from about the seven to seven eight nine year olds Some of the sixes, depending on size, that's when they're getting to their their peak size, but I would say eight-year-olds, if I had to pick one age class. Those eight-year-old bulls are physically on top of their game. Um, They may get a little heavier and bigger, but once they hit 10 plus, depending on the individual they just they don't have it physically you know it's like,
0: they, they can tend to get a little bit ornery and oh yeah and angry and you know kind of agitated yep. pretty easily and then let's talk females so you have cows heifers you know females when do they start breeding and how long can a good cow continue to breed on average yep. you know
1: so uh typically they don't breed till they're they're Two their first year, so they'll have their first calf as a three-year-old, and so the maturity-wise, we were just talking about when you think about that. I mean, it makes sense that they have a, a longer longevity as far as production too, compared to like to beef cattle. So, so uh, you know, they don't they don't have their first one till they're three. They really are growing until they're about six, and then they're starting to reach their mature size um so we've had in the park um i've had a couple cows make 24. they weren't productive up to that but they started missing we we changed the model we had in the park after i started when i first started we were capped at 10 years age so all the cows after their 10th season were sold um the bulls we did the the hunts on and you also,
0: you know, I'm interrupting you here on, on a few of these when you talk about them, but you when you say sold, so every year in November, or so and I, I've actually experienced this myself. We bought a couple of bulls from you two years ago, yep, um, which are remarkable. We were talking about it, you know, the bulls we bought from you. When I think livestock, and you know, I've never I've been around beef cow ranches in, in Texas. You know, that's how Bison Union started working on a ranch for for Buster Frierson down there. But when you look at livestock as a whole across the board, in my opinion, I look at it like, you know, athletic ability in these animals. You know, buffalo or bison, to me, are kind of like the NFL players of the livestock community. They're agile, they're fast, they're intelligent, they're on the move. I talk about this all the time. But when you get, you know, when you get these animals, um, you're talking about selling them. We bought two bulls from you and they're just they're just stunning they're just magnificent beasts i don't know any other word for it they're they're incredible so you guys take i was lucky enough not just me you know nick and the other folks involved were able to buy a couple of bulls from you nick came and picked them up and when we got those animals back you know they they integrated with the herd pretty quick but they kind of still stick together but over the last year and a half i mean they've just grown so good and they're so well behaved and they're just strong strong bulls but talking about the sale you know in november or so anybody can yep. come get online or come to an auction yep. and you can actually purchase you know bulls that come from the genetic line and from the herd here at custer yep. and it's not just custer you know there's yellowstone bulls you can buy at the turner auction and some other auctions um and a lot of the a lot of the big parks will actually sell sell off some cows and bulls so if you're out there and you're in the bison industry and you hear this, and you, or you're, you're new to it and you know, like follow that auction. The animals that we've purchased are two of the best animals that we've purchased. Um, so every November? Yes. is You guys still doing that yep. this next year? And even <clears throat> if you're not in the bison industry and you, you're not gonna look at buying bison now, but you might later on, you know, you can tune in and watch that auction. You can watch the process of that auction and it's fun to watch. Uh it's fun to watch that. But I just wanted to mention the auction because it's near and dear to my heart. And you know, as things grow, I'll definitely be coming back to buy well, try and buy more animals with you, maybe get outbid, but um buying animals from Custer State Park is pretty unique and, and one of the cooler experiences I've ever had in my life. And we just got, you know, we're super happy with those animals and it's just neat to go out to your own herd and look at animals that came from Custer Park. Kind of segueing into that, you know, how long have animals been at that park? How long have animals been right over, or right over this ridge here at the park?
1: Uh, they brought the first animals in in 1913. So, so
0: 1913. Yep. So coming off the late 1800s, and you know, I think you said, and it's in the park visitor center, which, by the way, is is an absolutely amazing visitor visitor center. And then, just kind of over the hill from us, about a mile or two down the road, they're they're starting to build. I think it'll be the first in the country, correct? Yep. First, it's an actual bison center right next to the corrals for the state park. Uh, but there's a, a pretty interesting and beautiful visitor center. Um, and I think you had said it, when the first herd got here, the, you know, the park bought 36, 36 animals. 36 head, yep. 36 head of animal, uh, buffalo for $11,000. Yep. And that was in 19... 19-
1: 1913, 1913. not from the Scotty Phillip herd out of Fort Pierce, South Dakota.
0: And it wasn't long before that that there was probably, you know, the number is different kind of everywhere you ask, but, you know, kind of that hard number is bison got down to to about a thousand animals, maybe less. Um, And we'll talk more about that when we get to the podcast studio later, uh, really dive into talking bison. Um, Today, I just kind of wanted to focus on you, your family, and the, the custer herd. But, you know, it's pretty remarkable that the park took that step in the conservation side of it to bring those animals here and put 36 animals in and what do you have now?
1: We are about a thousand fifty right now in the park so. And it kind yep.
0: of sits right at that nine hundred? Yeah 1, it's right
1: around a thousand just under a thousand to a thousand we're actually increasing now we've been watching since we had a major fire three years ago um, in December and that burned off a lot of timber area adjacent to the prairie area um in the park so um we've been after that first season watching where they started utilizing areas they hadn't before on ridges like behind us here right. and stuff um we kind of knew we are going to be able to increase the number carrying capacity on that. So we're actually a little bit over what our normal overwinter number would be after surplus for a year. Um, and then we monitor precip. We, we have some data, we use precip and range condition to determine what our numbers are gonna be for a year. So we have the whole park is rated for a carrying capacity. So, so many, so many animal units are allotted to the bison, so many of the elk, the deer, and on and on. So you
0: don't. That's it that's a great segue into talking. You know, the park is different than these animals right here. These animals right here are your private herd next to the park, and they interact with animals. But once you get inside the park, it's a whole other ecosystem and dynamic. Even though it's you know same yeah. animals, same stuff. But when you're managing a park, your piece is managing the bison herd, but you have to compete with elk, yeah. deer, white tail. I mean, I could name. Yeah. you know this an, this park's got just as many animals as any other park in the country to include yellowstone uh, obviously there's probably not too many wolves or grizzly bears around here not yet but, <laughs> not yet but you know as things go on but you know but managing that inside of a park and and like you said you get too many of one species of animals and it affects the entire ecosystem yeah whether it's a bird whether it's a grass whether it's bison which is remarkable to me.
1: And I've seen I mean 19 years I started we were in a drought period which ended up being about five to six years long and then uh, in fact just yesterday I finished up my precip data from the previous water year here looking at planning for the next year and we ended up um, just from one year to the next or last year the 19 water year we were 55% of what our average is, cumulative average, um, since we've kept uh, data from this weather station in the park, which was October 84 when it was started. So so we're in the 18, just over 18 inches range of uh, precipitation here on the eastern slope of the hills. Um, But we were at ten, just over ten inches this past year. So just taking that water year looking, although we had good forage last year, but considering, you know, ground moisture with that, that's where you start planning on okay, where's our carrying capacity gonna be for this next season? And it's like I've learned and tell people it's still your best guesstimate. You have this data that you can use and look at your current conditions but you're still taking the best guesstimate. what's coming next year next
0: because mother nature we're not
1: controlling what she does so
0: which is you know last year you just it changes so much from year to year like the big horns where i'm at we got 267 inches of snow last year which is insane you know there's a lot of snow last year but which is a good question it gets cold here how cold is it going to get in the next month or so? Like it's warm today. It's probably what 30 degrees, 40 degrees. Yeah, Canada, I think we're
1: mid 30s today. But just
0: there's no wind, so it's kind of dry here. So I'm literally just wearing a hooded sweatshirt. It feels actually really nice out. Yep. It feels good. Yeah. But how how cold does it get here, and how do these animals do? Because that's a question I always get asked. Well, how cold? When do bison feel like they're cold? You know, how cold is it here, and how do bison? and bison or buffalo same word for those listening. I get asked that question yeah. you probably have to yep. what's the difference between a bison and a buffalo the north american buffalo and a bison are the same animal yeah but how do they do in cold weather
1: you know they do they do fine they like it when it starts getting single digits you'll see them out running playing kicking their heels up and stuff and we have a lot of difference in the Black Hills from the north to the south, and we're actually considered in the southern Black Hills in Custer Park and and here. So we actually, and a lot of people think it gets cold because we have the the Black Hills in that, but in reality, it's we have pretty mild winters, Not too bad. pretty mild. It we've had cold years, but. Uh, Nothing like when you get back east in Minnesota. We don't have the humidity so it don't chill you no, like that's 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 <laughs> you people know. don't understand that till they experience it out here. Yeah, but. I try
0: to explain to people five degrees in South Dakota and you know, Wyoming with no with humidity. humidity feels like 35 degrees you, you could drive just south to colorado with 80 percent humidity yeah. at at 40 degrees and it feels like it's five degrees yeah it's just bone chilling cold yeah it's not too bad here and you know we're three and a half hours west of here it's not too bad where we're at either
1: yeah uh, but they they like the cold i mean i can't say over the years i suppose minus 20-something is what I've personally seen with it, and that doesn't bother them at all. No, they but
0: they do, like right now, and you guys are watching in the background, we're, we're smack in the center of these animals. You know, how many animals are here right now, if you don't mind saying? It? I know it's typically not a question you ask a rancher.
1: But, <laughs> We've got about a, about 130 total. Yep. And,
0: and we're smack in the middle of it. We're literally completely surrounded on the truck. And I, I keep looking over my shoulder because it's kind of funny. This truck probably weighs four, you know, four or 5,000 pounds. And one of these animals is scratching its its head on the front of this thing and it's actually moving the entire truck. So you can, you know, these guys are athletic and they're strong and they're just built. They're built like no other livestock in the country. They're just massive and, and strong. But you can also see when buffalo are managed the right way and they're treated the right way. This is this is a super peaceful and humble animal. I can't think of any other word than humble for a bison. But you know, be you know. They're typically I use the roadhouse. Patrick Swayze, be nice until it's time to not be nice. Yeah. You know, bison will be nice until it's time to not be nice. And, That's good. Uh, like I said, this is a unique experience, and bison ranchers, people that know their animals are comfortable like this. But if you're in the wild, if you're in the park, if you're in any park, you know, keep 100, 100 meters distance or 100 yeah. yards distance because these guys can run 35 to 40 miles an hour. They're super athletic. They can turn on a dime. Everybody's seen the videos lately with social media, but that's pretty rare occurrence. You know, it does happen. It's happened in your park. Yeah. But for the most part, if you respect your distance with these animals, they'll respect you as well.
1: Yeah. Good rule our, our interpretive staff uses they came up with, and I don't know where it came from for sure, but we always tell visitors the rule of thumb whether it's bison or or deer, whatever, smaller animals, but if you hold, yeah. your, <laughs> hold your arm out and rule of thumb, if you can cover it with your thumb, it a should be it should be a safe distance. Right. Not always, but... It's a
0: great, it's a, it's a great rule. I mean, it really it's is. Like it's
1: like I tell people, you know, my experience with them reading their body language and and what they're pretty confident in what they're thinking. Um, you know, usually when I see visitors, uh, I'm thinking, they're getting a little bit too too close. I said, when I come driving up on a situation like that, I'm usually looking at the animals more than the person. Right. Because I'm thinking, okay, now what's she or what's that bull thinking so let's, to let's that talk. person walking up to them? And you let's know, talk and,
0: through that for a minute because even a layperson with a quick conversation like we're having right here, there's telltale signs of, you know, a dog's gonna raise its lips and show its teeth. Maybe not, Yeah. you know, dogs can, but typically a dog's gonna bark at you, growl at you, let you know, how do I, if I come to Custer Park and I'm riding in my car and a, a massive herd of 500 bison or more comes crossing across the road, how can you tell when you're too close or you're agitating or you need to just stop what you're doing and back off? how can you tell body language from a bison
1: so there's <clears throat> there's different things to watch for and we educate on that the the biggest visual indicator is their tail tail goes straight up the tail will go up and i'd like to show people and tell them you know if they're completely at rest that tail will be flat on their hind end if yeah, they're you a can little
0: probably see in the camera behind us these animals if, you see if
1: they're a little curious or could be concerned you'll see where their tail up is like that one back there. It's just off her hind end a little bit. You can see a little bit of light underneath them. And sometimes, like I said, that's even curiosity. You're just, you know, you're, you're walking out or something and they might be a few hundred yards off and see you. And you'll see that tail come up just a little bit and they're like, okay, what are you doing over there? So, but it could be either aggression or curiosity. Um, But the Typically, the higher it gets, the more concerned they are or or aggressive. Um, But like you said, when they really get to that point, it'll go over center. And over the years, handling them and stuff, I said, you know, I've had some typically bulls not always but but it'll go over center and be pointing up over their back and that tassel i mean you'd swear it was made of steel right it's just just iron it's it's so and it's quivering and and when you get them to that point you better be someplace safe
0: (laughs) you get some snorting and some
1: yeah and then pawn head shaking Mm -hmm. Um, that's one we like to tell people, you know, watch for head shaking. That can be aggression, not always, but you know, you got to have the experience to determine that. Right. But from an average person has no... nothing about them that's what we'll tell watch that tail you know if they shake their head like you say pawn um, they can be aggression it isn't always but it's it's a good thing to tell people if they are you probably don't want to be around there so you are too close back up
0: back off and you know I I use my military experience and with the language and the verbiage of closing the distance you know you got a bad guy you want to close the distance with bison you know, that bison right now is probably 30 feet away, but that bison, if they really wanted to, they're calm, they can close that distance. You're not going to have time to get around this flatbed. Yeah. You're not going to have time to get in that truck. If it happens, it happens really, really fast. They're agile. They're fast. Uh, but I don't yeah. want to scare people away from bison. Just be smart, like like Chad said, the rule of thumb. Uh, what do you say we, we, uh, we head into the park a little bit and see if we can find your herd there?
1: You bet. Does that work? You bet.
0: All right, we'll be back. We're gonna head into the park and uh, we'll catch up with the Custer Bison Herd. So we're back, we shifted gears. uh, For those that are watching the YouTube and watching the actual video, we shifted gears. We're now smack in the center of Custer State Park. And Chad gave me a souvenir. You can buy these. For a hundred dollars, right? Is that? Yeah, almost yeah. No, just kidding. So we're back, smack dab in the center of of Custer State Park, and you can see behind us, a portion of the herd is back here in this valley. That's an old homestead in the center of the park, and then off to our our left here, there's another pretty large portion of the herd. And then behind the cameras is a a much larger portion of the herd on a giant plateau up here. You can see the uh, badlands. Over, yep. over your shoulder in the skyline here, and as you see it's, I, I just gotta take a second, see, this is my first time coming through the park like this, and it is it is the most beautiful park that I've been to, I think, in the lower 48. It is absolutely phenomenal. The facilities, the park is just managed, and it is absolutely gorgeous. So if you get a chance to come to Custer, or you drive by it, take the day to come here and go to the park, go to the visitor's center and check it out. Um, but we, so we're talking, you know, Chad and I were talking earlier. Um, when you go to the visitor center, there's a video of you, and it's about a 17, 18 minute video. Kevin Costner is the actual narrator, and in that video, it has you guys talking about the roundup every year. And you said it started, yep. when you started here, about 5,000 people would show up. Yep. How many people show up to that roundup now every
1: year? We've had. 20,000 plus the last six out of seven years.
0: So 20,000 people show up, and then there's an application you can put in to ride horseback. They pick, what you said, about 20 people? About
1: 20 people, yep.
0: That you can actually ride horseback if you bring your horse up, and you get picked, on. you select it on that application, you can actually come up and help Chad and the team round those animals up in front of a crowd of 20,000 people, get them into a corral, and that's when they start you know checking animals that's you guys when we talked traditionally you you touch the animals once a year unless you have to unless unless it's actually an injury or an emergency you have you guys typically a fire anything like that obviously you're managing the animals a little tighter but as far as letting the animals and the buffalo be buffalo you manage them once a year and you bring them in you'll sort off some calves you'll check animals you'll check weights you'll check everything on the animals and 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 then you put them back out to be buffalo yep Um, And that's when that roundup takes place. The one question I always get asked, and I have to say this all the time. People are like, why don't you wear a cowboy hat? I am not a cowboy at all. I'll never be a cowboy. I just didn't grow up that way. Um, And it's just not for me. I'll I'll own horses. I'll ride horses. I'm not a cowboy. I'm not ever going to be a ranch cowboy. Uh, But one thing that you guys do that's different than... I'd say 99, 98 percent of other bison ranches, or state parks, or, or or national parks that have bison, you guys work these animals with horseback. Yep. You mind talking a little bit about that because it's very unique. Yeah. Um, you use horseback, and then you guys also use whips, and talk about it. When I say whips, they're not actually whipping the animals. Yeah. So I'd I'd love to hear your take on horseback and <clears throat> and how you guys manage animals on horseback.
1: Yeah. Um, as far as the official roundup, I mean, I as far as I've been told and have read, they've used horses even back before the official roundup started. So just staff would use it, um, moving them or checking them, and and then once the once the roundup became a somewhat tourist event. They would have local riders I mean, 30, 40 years ago from people that have been here that long and helped telling me, you know, they'd just say, well, this Sunday we're going to, we're going to round up, you know, show up back where we were at there on the highway with that area is called cow camp. It's like be at cow camp at one o'clock and we're going to go move the herd closer to the corral. and Have your horse saddled and be ready There to might go. be 25 people show up. There was maybe 80 people showed up. Right. Um, wasn't as organized as it is now they just showed up and when it was like okay let's go the way they went with them so Um, it's become much more organized now, and especially with the tourism side of it. But, but it's like you say, working bison with horses. I know some other friends and producers out there that do it. There's some other public herds that do it. Um, you'll get the other side, especially now with uh, social media, reading groups and forums. Oh, you can't use horses or don't use horses. It's like anything, horses, dogs, whips, um you have to acclimate them to it. It's like I said, you can't, and even I've learned over the years, I don't call them tame animals. You bottle fed or you get them to eat out of your hand. They're habituated or acclimated. They're not tame. Right. They still are a wild animal. So so it's just like I I've had some healers and dogs over the years we use working on bison too. And you have to habituate or acclimate those bison. To working them um, with just a jump dog, in a bunch with of dogs a horse, there, with right. a herd. <laughs> I mean, I've been in other herds um, with horses, an example here at Custer Park. Wind Cave is adjacent to us. Um, Over the years, we've gone down in there to help them and stuff, and you jump a horse out of the trailer, and them bison will actually come over because they're curious. They don't see them as often as we do in Custer Park. They'll come over. They're curious. And I remember the first time I was down there, you cracked a whip, and they kind of looked at you like, what was that? And you start doing a little more, and then it's like, oh, I don't like that. And right. And you start moving away, so. And you don't actually, I know you don't, but I'm just
0: clarifying it for people that are watching and listening to this. You're not whipping the animals. The whip doesn't even right. come close right. to the animal. You're just, it's an auditory and a visual response. They're seeing something move, and they're yep. hearing a crack, and they, you know, they don't like sudden noises and, and fast movement.
1: Right? Yep, yep. It's that crack of the, the sound of the whip, and even twirling it. So we use most people use a stock whip or a bull whip. So while we're talking, you got
0: a whip on your dashboard. Can we get yep. is without mess these animals up if you whip that thing right now. Sure. I mean, can yeah. you? Would you do it or is, is yeah. that something we couldn't do right now because you don't want to spook
1: these guys? No, I'd love to see you. We could do it. It might it might move them off. I mean, if I do it once, it's do you
0: mind doing it while we're on camera no, here? I sure, can. Do you mind grabbing it and <laughs> let's let's see this?
1: <laughs>
0: I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, but I, I would love to see this.
1: So, uh, the one thing about it, and I learned starting here at the park with the whip and that, um, I primarily am right-handed with it, and I tore my shoulder up several years ago. So now I'm not as not as good as I used to be, and I just haven't mastered it with the left hand yet. So, but I I can't get my shoulder or my arm above my shoulder anymore. But it's getting that audible crack on it. So, and this is a stock whip. Um, a bull whip has a solid handle. Right. Stock whips are made for twirling, so you can get it to twirl. But this is about an eight-footer. I used to run a 10. I've got some friends that do up to 20s, and that's a job. But, but yeah, we use them horseback running with it. You know, it's just that sound. You can kind of see it's getting their attention to look. If along combined with movement, yeah, and the crack of the whip, you start getting them to to uh, somewhat do what you want them to do. I love
0: it. Thanks for (laughs) for doing that. I hate to put you on the spot, but man, it's just fascinating to see.
1: But now we could really get it interesting and let you try out. Have me give a shot. Let's do this. Don't wrap it around your neck. I won't. So. So. Where am I grabbing this The big at? thing is, yep, hold on. And you want to go around, but just like anything, you want to follow through. And that's where people get themselves in trouble. Okay. Is you want to so, crack it, usually like out here. so I'm going, Most people want to go right in front of them, but that's when it comes back in your face. So I'm going around and around and then yep. pop. So you want to go... So you want to go around like this, uh-huh. and then aim out there. Okay. But you want to follow through with your wrist, because it's in your wrist that gets it to snap. Okay. But after it snaps, follow through with it behind you, because if you stop there, that's when it's coming back coming at back. you. So you, you So snap. after you snap it, take your and arm out to the side way. and bring it back. Okay. Yep. Man,
0: should I be wearing eye protection for this? We've we've had
1: people put helmets and goggles on. <laughs> Oh I'll get it. go. So aim snap it at me, okay? Yep, look at me and snap it out. There you go. Yep and then take your arm back behind you. There you go. You're getting it.
0: <laughs> oh man. You made it look you made it look really easy. <laughs> Let me see you do it one more time here. I look like an idiot Just trying to catch swat flies or something.
1: So, you kind of want to pop it. out to the side, pop, but then pull it back. Otherwise, if you stop right there, and then it comes back, so you got to
0: really feel that pop.
1: Yep, and it's all like you say in your wrist, you want to
0: snap. I got to be more aggressive than this. I think I'm being too soft.
1: You're getting it. <laughs>
0: there we go. Okay. Yep. I tried. I got to practice. I got I to get one of these things now in practice. That's going to drive me nuts that,
1: that I couldn't get it. Well, if I remember right, King Sadlery's got him. Oh, they got him. Ryan King. Yeah. I'll,
0: I'll hit Ryan up and I'll get one for sure.
1: Been over there a few times and yeah, seen Ryan's, him. So
0: Ryan's a good buddy. He yeah, actually comes in the coffee shop every day. Not a better family on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Off to go in there and get one. And practice. Man, you made that look easy. I, I look like an idiot <laughs> swinging a garden hose around. So... You guys, you know, again, like horseback, I think, again, traditionally, just man, it's just awesome that you guys are out here horseback, and, you know, you see nowadays, and there's, you know, I'm not knocking one way or the other, but there's horseback. What are some of the other means you guys use? Four-wheelers?
1: Yeah, we don't too much in the park. Um, Well, it's getting to be more and more every year, four-wheeler, you know, ATVs or UTVs and stuff, and it's it's convenience and it's a lot easier just jump on something like that turn the key and go move them or do what you got to do rather than catch the horse up and saddle it and trailer it and do all that but and
0: obviously you guys use trucks as well yep you got equipment in here radios first aid kits stuff like that just for you know for emergencies but it's pretty remarkable these animals have been here for 100 and you know 100 plus years and and on top of that you guys are still using horseback and doing pretty traditional. I mean, not much has changed. I know you guys will use radios, communications, but other than that, not much has changed. Not and, a lot, no. Nope. Since you guys brought him here, which is remarkable. You can you can feel it while you're here. Again, if you get a chance to come see these animals and drive to the park, it's, it's absolutely
1: phenomenal. One thing here in the park using horses in my experience, and I learned to ride when I started this job. I rode a little bit before that, but I i was just a fixture on the horse (laughs) right after i actually started on roundup weekend here in the park so at that time roundup was on monday i started that saturday before um and at that time we actually did a two-day push so on sunday we would gather them from back west here a couple of miles and take them closer to the corral and then on monday morning we put them in the corral um but that first year being up here on this area called hay flats we would drop off the edge of the butte over there by that tree and i remember just just our core team did kind of a a little ride the day before and and we rode up to that edge of that and it's no i don't even know 150 foot in elevation going down but uh one gentleman that I've become good friends with, he's one of our team leaders and quite a horseman and cowboy. Um, Bob Lannis, I remember he said, you know, Oh, it'll be great tomorrow he says, We're gonna be on a run and over the edge we go and he says, you know, people say it looks like like brown water flowing over the rocks and in a river and stuff and I looked down that hill going I don't know about you, I'm back here taking my time, and <laughs> and I was the next day letting the horse just do his thing, and all of a sudden I hear this banging and clanging behind me and rocks rolling, and I turn around, and they're coming over the edge with a couple pickups, too, and I'm like, these people are crazy. Uh, that's great. You know, and, but, and now
0: now you're doing it with a whip on your horse, like the man from Snowy River <laughs> yeah. rearing back and popping your whip. No, that's, that's incredible. I, I look forward to coming out here for that. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit because it's it's another question let's talk about rut what rut means um, and kind of the cycle of females and males and how that works throughout the year here in the park sure if you don't
1: mind yep so we're on our bulls our bulls are out there year-round so the bulls stay with the herd the females year-round and they kind of separate off and and some of that that's one thing i learned in the way the they're managed at the park we don't supplemental feed them um they did a little bit the first couple of years I was here. We would supplement them with some range cubes or cake. It's called um, typically in January, February for about six weeks or and the so. The range cube or cake is just a,
0: a compact version of. It's basically like taking a vitamin that's got the same nutrition that yep. natural grass would have. Out, but it's you know alfalfa or whatever that yep. cube is just kind of pressed into. When you say cake, it's like a large pellet. Yeah. Or, yep. or a square piece yep. of a cake. And
1: they, they were doing that, I was told, because they thought, uh, the previous herd manager thought they had some premature calves born a little early and stuff. And after doing it a couple of years, I, myself personally, I didn't think the time of season was right. And and a depressed market on bison, we just, we knocked out that expense and, and didn't see any negative effects in doing that, but... Um, but you know we don't supplement them so whatever is out here is what they're surviving on Um, so typically bison they need to lose some condition over the dormant season over your winter and that's one reason why calving is they're easy cavers they for the most part don't have much for problems i think in Oh golly! going on twenty nine years of raising them, I can honestly say I can count on you know less than ten head I've ever had to help with any type of calf problem. Typically, it's been a younger a younger first or second caver and that calf um that calf has gotten too big for whatever reason. So that's the most common problem I've ever seen. But... Well,
0: and just as we're talking here, just that little commotion with me raising my voice and cracking that whip, you cracking that whip, me, I don't know what I was doing, but you, the portion of the herd that was right here next to us, probably 40, 40, 50 animals or so, has just slowly moved away. You know, they're a pretty cautious animal. They're, they're very intelligent, um, not the best eyesight, but they've got a very keen sense of smell and and, yep. and they can feel vibrations, they're smart, they watch, they listen, great hearing. Yeah. uh but just that little bit of commotion that I made, the herd this portion of the herd is as is doing what bison do and that's Roman. You know, they're moving on and they you know, something wasn't right and they continue to move on a little
1: bit. Yeah. Yep. Uh, um so But our our like you're saying, our rut, I mean it typically rut in the park here. Um it'll we'll start seeing some pre rut activity early July, usually around the fourth of July. Um but the peak of our rut here is the last week of July, first week of August. Okay. Um so, is when them when them big dominant bulls definitely are moving into the herd and in are competing. So And yeah. that's where you
0: see the classic videos. Yeah. And pictures of bulls knocking heads that month to, to forty five days or so. They're competing for mating rights. They're yeah. competing for females, yep. and um, that goes on for how you know typically 30, 45 days.
1: Yeah. Yep. From start to finish. Yep. Yep. And like I say, that peak is about that 10-day period right at the end of July, early first week of August here in the park. So. And if
0: if conception happens, then you got a nine nine plus month conception or gestation yep. rate. Um more intrigued by, and I think because it's not typical for you know beef cow ranchers and people that raise other livestock will move their bulls off. Yep. When you don't do that, do the bulls the bulls move off on their own in bats or hers? Kind of explain that a bit yep. in the park because there's so much area here. Yeah. Um,
1: so they they typically will start peeling out, and especially the older bulls. Um, I would say seven to eight plus. They definitely will go off into small bachelor groups of, you know, anywhere from sometimes individuals, most often two or three. Um, I've seen them bunched up as many as 10 to 15 in a group of various ages. Um, Might stick together for a week or two, but usually in groups of like three to six or so. And will bulls, when they're
0: battling during rut, will they, you know, does it ever get to the point where they'll kill each other?
1: Yeah yep they'll uh lots of times we'll lose average in the park here on the average over the years about three a year from from uh, injuries and typically just, just it's right. a typically it's a gore wound in the neck or shoulder area is most often what happens and then what happens most often is the flies will get to it uh the peak of our fly season is about the same time as that rut. So I've found, or what I've seen over the years here with that, is if it's an injury that it's more upward where it can drain, they have a greater probability of surviving that. Um, if it's one of those where it can't, the flies get in and then they get septic, septic and they end and... up. And and we'll treat them. We'll actually tranquilize them. Last year we did. Well, last couple of years we've done two bulls um, each season that have had some injuries. We've tranquilized them, cleaned them up. F- sprayed them down with fly spray gave them some antibiotic um and they survived it but typically with the hair on the shoulders and that lots of times what happens is you don't catch it early enough until can't it's see it. too late you yeah. just can't see it and they don't show any signs of it right until their hair starts falling out and then it's like oh boy and then you make a decision do you you know i i'll treat them with antibiotic with the dart done um I've learned over the years, and with staff and visitors, you know, well, can't you put them in the corral and do something? And when you're dealing with a 2,000-plus-pound bull, yeah, it's, it's, uh, if they're not right next to it, it's tough to get them there. So yeah, and that's that was one of you know,
0: along with rut and bulls going off into a bachelor herd. <clears throat> if you bring an animal, <clears throat> excuse me, even as big as the park is, if you bring an animal down to the corrals. <clears throat> They've got a remarkable sense, and I, I'm guessing there's not enough data on it yet because it hasn't been studied enough. Because they're wild animals, and people tend to, in the the private side of bison ranching, people like to leave their animals alone. But buffalo, and you know, seem super remarkable to me at finding their herd, sensing their herd from a from an incredible distance away. So yeah. if you bring an animal down to the corrals, the wind's blowing the right way, gets windy here, you know, they can smell the herd correct oh, yeah. from, from miles and miles away. Yep, yeah. yeah. And that so those bulls will peel off and then, you know, later on during the year at sporadic times, they'll they'll meet back up or find the herd. Is that, yeah. is, is the sense of smell you're thinking? I'm asking because you spend so much time with them.
1: I uh, think they do. and And like here with the, with the, land area i mean them bulls will go up into some pretty rough country in the timber and on these ridges and drainages up there in the north end of the park over the year you know except for the two months basically during the rut they'll go up there in that rough country and then usually early july you see them and most of our a lot of our roads run the drainages so you'll start seeing them migrate south, because most of the prairie area that we have in the park, which is about 20,000 acres out of the 70,000, is on the east side and the south end. Um, where And that's where the, the cow herd spends most of their time. So those bulls will be, you know, eight miles, 10 miles up north in the northwest corner. And they'll just, you'll see them along the highway and they'll be time? another mile or two miles down the road the next day. And they might hang out for a day and then they're on the move again and they'll seek the cow herd out. The clock's and ticking and they
0: just, something happens and they start it's like moving. you
1: say, they sense, they know that time of year. Um They know the terrain. Even another example of that is when we're doing roundup. Um, we kind of staged the herd a few weeks before roundup. So I get a crew that comes in and we'll run around the park wherever they're at and move them closer to the corral. We have a few thousand acres fenced. Um, Some years, I've had several years where they're standing at the gate two days before because we defer the grazing in that area by early summer so So they know that there's fresh grazing in there yeah i mean it'd be all over with if i opened the gate they'd be in there but i got a crew that's coming so i wait and some years they're right north of the corral it takes us longer to ride out from the corral and get around them than it does when we actually get them moving to get them through the gate where they need to be so and i've had other years where they're all the way on the north end and we're riding 11 miles to push them. so bring them back that whole distance. Yeah. And I've learned, you know, they, they have their travel routes, game trails, whatever you want to call them, that they like to use. Um, I've learned experience over the years, you know, don't fight them on that. It might be a longer in distance because you're weaving around and up and over the hills, but it's they get on a good easier path. in terrain. You just let them go and don't let them get strung out too far. If you do that, you will get some that try to slip off, but we'll just let them go. And if you don't make it in the day, lots of times they're standing at the gate the next day anyway, by the time you get there. So so I get people ask a lot, you know, I like at Roundup, well, you don't get them all. And we don't want the breeding bulls, the older breeding bulls. We try to leave them behind because they're too dangerous when it's we're too, working them. Too
0: big, too massive. Yep, how, so. how big, you know, we talked about that driving from the la- from your place over into the park. How how big do
1: do large bulls get? So our bulls, <clears throat> from uh, what I've found, they'll average 1,900 to a ton. And um, in doing the hunts that we do, the harvests on them, just doubling the carcass weight on them, um, the heaviest I've had would be almost 2,700 pounds. He had a 1,260-pound carcass. Um and then you know, if they're not great condition, the lightest I'd have was sixteen seventeen hundred as a ten plus jeez,
0: wow, that's incredible It's so a twenty seven hundred
1: pounds yeah, and that's yeah, yeah, that's
0: like a a small size full size but a small full size yeah. truck coming at you and and man, what an incredible animal um when you get through rut, you get to you know April May that gestation period is up and they start calving. Yep. Let's talk about calving. Yep. Um, you know, typically everybody with social media, calving season on the internet has become a phenomenon yeah. of uh, like a tidal wave from the ranch community with beef cows. With bison, <clears throat> you don't see a lot of help with calving. Like you said, you've only helped half a dozen times or so or more over the whole time of being here why is that bison like to go off on their own they like to have their their calves in a safe environment kind of walk through if you don't mind what a calf weighs when it hits the ground how fast a calf is up and moving obviously that has to do with with their evolution over time whether you believe in evolution or not but their evolution over time of getting up they're moving their their roamers they're constantly on the move, and they're getting up fast. Predators—they don't want to get left behind yep. if the herd moves and there's predators. So, kind of, kind of walk through what a calf weighs and the the first few hours of a calf's life to to getting on its feet.
1: Yep, yep. So we see the first one here in the park, um, usually within a week of the first of April, every year since I've been here. Majority of them come in May, um, and they come out eighty-five, ninety percent of them in May. An average calf is about 45, 50 pounds when it's born. So they come out pretty small. They're orangish, called cinnamons. Um, another name, red dogs, some people call them. You know, cinnamons, they're born that color. They will actually change or begin changing to the brown, black and brown color at about three months age, right in there. Um, it can vary a little bit on individuals, but typically about that age. Um, they're up on their feet, like you said, I I suppose over the years, I have actually seen between 10 and 15 actually born. Stand um, up. Yep, just happened to come over. And typically, they're on their feet sometimes as soon as 10 minutes. I mean, they'll be trying. Within 10 to 15 minutes, they'll be trying to stand up. Not always successful at it, but typically within 30 minutes, they are up and walking and nursing and moving and easily within an hour i mean they're ready to to run and start running Mom. which is so, fun to watch i mean yeah they're if pretty you ever clumsy get a chance to watch first. that
0: like watching a a newborn calf over the first day to to week it's fun to watch them find their legs and start yep. running and then you know that first few months it's that same effect, and they're not pets, but that same effect of watching a puppy. You know, goofy, awkward, but just just getting the zoomies, as I call it. You know, getting the zoomies and running around, but it's remarkable to watch. And then, you know, as we talk, because a lot of people that watch this are gonna go to Yellowstone, they're gonna come to Custer Park, they're gonna go to parks where they engage these animals, you know, from their cars or on a hike, you know, from, from a distance. That's one of those times, again, like other animals, mama cows are yeah are very 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 protective not just cows and one of the things that fascinated me as i started to learn about bison and be around them is they'll form a nursery and a lot of the calves will be in the same area with the same you know heifers that bred those animals and they're very protective correct
1: yeah yep yep i've always said and learned you know probably the most dangerous would be a bull during the rut Um, Tending to a cow that's close to estrus, but second is cows that have just calved and and it depends on the individual Um, cow. sometimes even until that calf is six ten months old they'll be very aggressive towards you other ones, but most often a lot of the bison don't want to even see you for the first ten days to two weeks of that calf's life um, I know when I first moved out west and got excited. The first year we calved on that ranch, we had them on a half section. We were excited. We saw the first calf out there, and we started out. And it was an older cow we'd bought at a sale. She went to the corner, hopped the fence, and just kept going. That was it. She you know, didn't it's want like okay, here. we'll look through the binoculars from now on. So she didn't want anyone two weeks here. later, she come right up to the truck. Yeah. You know, but a lot of them, they they just don't want you anywhere near. They feel you're a threat um and the other thing is is like if you're out hiking here in the park we have a lot of hiking um you know you come over the hill and surprise one and boy mom is going to be right there being awful protective and can be very yeah, and the calves very can,
0: aggressive and the calves are like any other young species of any animal especially mammals that you know they might be curious or they might be very timid and shy and yep. i've been around some calves that were brand new that we're pretty curious oh yeah mama mama's going to be curious too but in a different way um and then diet you know when those calves hit the ground they're up within an hour or so you know maybe 10 minutes to an hour they're up moving what's the diet of a bison calf
1: well they're dependent on mother for the first at least two months um you know things nature happens and sometimes something happens with that cow and you end up with orphans um, Which is different. I'm going I'm to jump in here and ask you That's that's
0: different than other livestock. Yes. You know, you can, you know, livestock and certain livestock that mother will stay there and, and nurse bison are different in that sense. You might explain in that a little bit that, you know, they're not they're They're moving animals. Sometimes they abandon them for some reasons, but they're not going to stick around sometimes. Yeah. And you get an abandoned calf. That calf's either going to die. Yep or yeah. you're gonna take that calf and nurse it.
1: Yep, yep, and I've had that several times in the park here over the years, where in, typically in a situation like that, it's it's a first calf mother, um, and they're still growing and maturing, they have that first calf, and if that calf is weak for whatever the reason and doesn't keep up, um, her herd instinct is stronger than her mothering instinct, is what I like to say and she will leave that calf behind eventually if it doesn't keep up with them. Um, My first experience on that, on one of the private ranches I first worked on and and moved out west to, um, we had one like that. The calf was weak, we found it, we took it, Nurse, you know, bottle fed it, got it up and kicking around, took it back out to mom in the herd. She claimed it, let it go, go out there later that day or the next morning, and there's the calf laying there weak on the ground again. Picked it up after the third time of doing that, we just kept it because she just wasn't, her mother and instinct wasn't there yet. So, and
0: there is a possibility that you can bottle feed those calves and reintegrate them into the herd.
1: Yeah, yep yep you know and like with that bottle feeding and i know there's there's certain circumstances out there i know some other folks in the business that have raised um, particularly bulls but there's been studies done on all species of animals multiple species of animals where typically like bottle feeding a, a young when that male if it's a male calf when it reaches sexual maturity that's What it identifies with, so they can get aggressive. And you look at bison when they start reaching maturity at around two years age. You know they're a thousand pounds and got fifteen-inch daggers on them and stuff. And they're not intentionally getting aggressive, but it's all that testosterone and everything else working in them and the hormones on them. So. Typically, male bottle-fed animals can get aggressive and are very dangerous. Females acclimate back into the herd a lot easier. Um and I like I said there's exceptions out there I know some folks that have bottle raised calves and even as big 10 plus year old mature bulls if they're able to go up and buddy up to them and scratch them and all that kind of stuff and that's that's a pretty special one that they're not all like that yeah I've seen a
0: few on some that's, of the bison groups and on the internet where that's know, one are next to a 2,500 pound bull and they're know,
1: one in a hundred thousand or yeah. a million that you get that one with that kind of temperament. yeah like, like, like a that. dog you know every now and then somebody gets a really 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 special dog yep exactly Uh, but exactly well
0: chad i really appreciate one having us out here this is a this is a once i mean this is a absolutely incredible experience for me I, i can't if you'd asked me 10 years ago if i was ever going to be standing with the herd manager of a bison herd in custer state park i would have said man there's no way people don't get to do that um i'm really glad and and honored that you opened up to, to us in the podcast to come out here and um and have us out here today i, I can't appreciate it uh tell you how much i appreciate it and uh, we're going to follow back up with chad here in the studio, hopefully, you know, in Sheridan, you know, I know you and your family come over probably next week. We'll get in the studio or sometime soon and, and finish up another part of this and talk, you know, big picture of bison and the bison industry. And Chad mentioned earlier in the podcast, the National Bison Association, absolutely phenomenal group of folks and put out a lot of information for anybody that just wants to learn about bison. So, you know, check out, check out Custer Park, uh, Google it check out the national bison association and then the bison center that we spoke of uh, they got some private donations but with that private donation the state was going to meet a certain amount there yep and they're still fundraising for that to to build a multi multi million dollar facility here that's going to allow people to come and see the corrals and and get to interact with the team here when they're out and available doing stuff to interact with people but it's going to be It's not just gonna be a simple building. It's a pretty awesome interactive experience, one of a kind, the first of its kind anywhere in the world to interact with bison. I think the goal for you guys opening that thing up is... Spring of 21, 22, excuse me. So spring of 22, so not far away, 13, 14 months away, you'll be able to come to the park and see an absolutely up-close first-hand experience with what I think is the most majestic and best animal in the world, uh, hands down. But Chad, thank you so much. Hey, you bet. I'll, I'll get with Ryan King and get myself a uh, a whip and start practicing so I don't look like such a ding-dong out here doing that. <laughs> For those of you guys that are tuning in, uh, we really appreciate it. Check out check out Custer Park and the Custer Bison, or just Google it, there's a lot of information out there about it, there's a lot of photos of Chad and his team working these animals in the uh, the, the Roundup. And we can't say thank you enough uh, for joining the Be The Bison podcast. For those of you at home, say hi to your dogs and say hi to your bison.